Lakers bad. Lakers good or Lakers bad, Joe? I'd say Lakers. Uh, <laughs> is this how we're starting? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at the beginning of the season, the first 30 games, the Lakers were still a title contender. Anthony Davis was healthy. LeBron was healthy. LeBron was like number one, number two in MVP rating. I think at that moment, they were a title contender. The remaining 40, 50 games, AD and LeBron were both out. They barely played together. They added a fourth or fifth center (laughs) in Andre Drummond. (laughs) And like, it's funny because when I was writing the script for this episode, my original thought was like, oh my gosh, it's so shocking. LeBron James has been eliminated in the first round. But when you really look at the series and the season for the Lakers on paper, it's not yeah. really that surprising. LeBron no, played, not surprising at all. LeBron played barely over half the games. Anthony Davis played a little less than half. And yeah. none of their shooters could hit shots whatsoever. Only two players yeah. on this team hit above 35%. Mm-hmm. Three, and one of them was Mark Gasol. <laughs> yeah, got it. Like, let me, let me just pull up those numbers right now. Oh, well, just, uh, yeah. It was this Lakers season was just just interesting start to finish because I mean they had what seventy one days between uh, winning the finals and then opening night so you do that and then they had a lot of roster turnover which probably wasn't the best move. That's that's actually an interesting point because I think we can look back at some of these moves and. I don't know if I would have done anything different at the time because I really liked a lot of these moves. Like I think yeah. uh, letting Dwight Howard walk and getting centers who might have been a little fresher off of that was a good move for the Lakers. But in retrospect, Dwight Howard was a better defensive center fit than any of the centers yeah. on this roster. I mean, I remember in the Western Conference Finals, he was giving Jokic some problems mm-hmm. and obviously like these centers they just couldn't find the right balance even in the playoffs here like they couldn't decide do we want mark do we want drummond they didn't even really give montrez harrell (laughs) any playing time yeah um no i mean the problem really was it was a good move on they were all really good moves on paper i remember um before the season talking about it and you add Montrez Harrell, who was reigning sixth man of the year. You add Marcus Saul. You add Andre Drummond in the middle of the season. Um, and then you kind of have other guys. You play a little bit of Markeith Morris even <laughs> at the five a bit. And then, of course, Anthony Davis at the five a bit. Um, and it looks really good on paper. The problem is they didn't have a full off season, And then they had a shortened season. And a lot of these guys were hurt. Andre Drummond doesn't come in until very late after being cut by the uh, Cavaliers just was not a good situation for that. Yeah. And I even like, I remember thinking the Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder trade at the time was really good. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, okay, the Lakers only gave up a a late first and Danny Green who couldn't make many shots in the finals for a guy in Dennis Schroeder who could be a playmaker, but Dennis Schroeder was awful. (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah, no. um i mean yeah dennis schroeder was not the best during the playoffs um danny green's an interesting figure because danny green is just he's either on or he's not and um i mean it's kind of the history it's kind of just how our brains work we always want to remember when he wasn't hot but he actually was a i mean i think he was a big part of why the lakers won last year um and especially in that series over the heat um he was hot for a lot of those wins when they won those the games they won in that series. He was hot, um, but kind of just get rid of him, bring in somebody you think you can be a little more consistent, Dennis Schroeder, but he might have a higher floor, but he also has a way lower ceiling than Danny Green, in my opinion. Yeah, and honestly, I think the Lakers would have benefited from prioritizing shooting more than getting other centers because if this Lakers team is going to succeed in the playoffs we I've been talking about this all season you're going to put Anthony Davis at the five late yeah. in games like 
Yeah, sure. Maybe you could have minutes where Mark is out there for spacing and for playmaking, or even when they had JaVale McGee, JaVale McGee wouldn't take away from Anthony Davis just because of how much of a lob threat and how athletic he was. Yeah. They couldn't really fit any of those other guys well with Anthony Davis. And we saw Wesley Matthews was decent, but not great throughout the season. He had a few injuries and he wasn't as good as he was the year before with Milwaukee and then they added Ben McLemore at the trade deadline who barely played in the playoffs. And I, I would have liked to see them maybe try to go to him more just to get some more shooters in there that would actually be able to hit a shot. But yeah. it's clear like Danny Green, even though he had like, obviously he missed the game winner in game five in the playoffs, but mm-hmm. Danny Green's a guy who has multiple seasons shooting 40% from three. He's a consistent guy. He plays good defense and Ben McLemore and Wesley Matthews just weren't <laughs> didn't provide that yeah. consistency on yeah. either ends of the court. No, I mean, and it's kind of the the prevailing thought ever since uh, LeBron went back to the Cavs is the best roster construction is always going to be surround LeBron with shooters, and then they got rid of their best shooter last year. <laughs> and I I think for the Lakers specifically, what worked really well for them last year was you brought you bring in Anthony Davis and then you have LeBron Anthony Davis and then you put in guys that can just play outside ball and it worked so well during the playoffs last year um but they kind of just completely turned that on its head and tried to construct a balanced roster which ends up being not balanced (laughs) when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis And what I thought was interesting about this series was I remember when the Lakers were up 2-1, Chris Paul had the whole shoulder injury. He looked like he was playing early Markel Fultz Philly kind of basketball where he couldn't get a shot up. It was looking bad. Then obviously Chris Paul has that good game with 17 points, nine assists in game four. They get home court back and then Phoenix proceeds to win the series in six. If Anthony Davis is healthy, I think the Lakers could have potentially won this series, but just after watching how they played basketball in this six game series, I don't think this Lakers team was capable of making a title run because of health purposes. I mean, I saw LeBron James in this playoff series, which it's probably, I'd say safe to say his worst series since the 2011 finals in Dallas. He still had good stats for a normal Mm -hmm. player of like 23 points per game, seven rebounds, nine assists, but he couldn't make it to the rim like he normally does. And Mm -hmm. the best LeBron James system of basketball is you get him to drive and then create for other people. And he couldn't do that first part. And then Anthony Davis being out obviously didn't help. I'm not out on the Lakers long-term. Like I think they can make some roster tweaks next season (laughs) to be back in this, but I think the deck was kind of stacked against them with both the injuries, with the shooters not being able to hit shots. And then obviously this Phoenix team was incredible in this series. Cameron Payne really emerged. He was shooting 43% from three. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton arrived this playoffs they were ridiculous DeAndre Ayton shooting almost 80 percent from the field yeah I mean they were what if you watch the Suns playing the bubble last year this is what they were and I think they just kind of are taking the national spotlight and the team against the Lakers really uh really showed why people were excited about the Phoenix Suns again no Phoenix And I remember going into this series, I had a tough time because these were my two favorite teams in the Western Conference. (laughs) It felt like I had to pick between my two favorite kids almost. And yeah, I was really impressed with how, I mean, Chris Paul and Jay Crowder are the only guys on this team with any significant playoff experience. I'm not counting Dario Saric's uh, Philly series from, (laughs) from four and a half years ago, but Devin Booker, I mean, you saw LeBron James. I uh, give him the jersey after game six that just said continue being great, had the crown on it. And I mean, yeah. Devin Booker, 47 points in game six. I'm glad he's getting this moment because for far too long, people have been saying, like, oh my gosh, Devin Booker, he's just a, 
he's just a garbage time player. Phoenix has never won anything. You know, it's, it's hard to tell what he'd be like in the playoffs, but Devin Booker is such a good scorer. Yeah, absolutely. Three, he can drive in. Lakers basically had to double team him every play like he was Kobe. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard to imagine because he came in. Devin Booker was one of those guys that came into the league like hilariously young. <laughs> like, I think he came in after like one year after, at Kentucky, but he was like a very young freshman. So he's, I think he's he was only 24 in the NBA, yeah. if I remember. Yeah. Yeah. He was, by, he was definitely the youngest player in the NBA when he came in. Um, so it's hard to imagine that he's this young, but um, Devin Booker is just like anybody that said he was just like a garbage time point scorer. They didn't watch Devin Booker play because <laughs> I mean, Phoenix, like those last few years have def- kind of were very careful with Devin Booker to not overplay him. Um, and really, I mean, he didn't play in a lot of big moments, but that was because Phoenix sucked for a while. It's like um, his starting center yeah. was Dragon Bender and Alex Len yeah. <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Like, no, no, I've I've watched that team play like a little bit when they were bad. I didn't watch them a lot because, of course, they were terrible. Why would you want to watch them? But it was Devin Booker and like maybe good bench pieces, and they've just added through the draft. They added, of course, Chris Paul. Um, like you said, Cam campaign and uh jay crowder were great pickups for them in their system uh and it's really just worked well it's great to see shout out the shout out the uh chicago bulls uh talent evaluation uh they thought cameron Payne couldn't play nba basketball but is now lighting up the best defensive team (laughs) in the first round you're taking advice from the uh chicago bulls on basketball i got uh some sad news about how long it's been since they've made deep runs in the playoffs for how sort of a franchise they are one would even argue the only time they made long runs uh, (laughs) in the postseason yeah and honestly even like cam johnson mikhail bridges and deandre ayton have all worked out very well for this suns team like mikhail bridges is an incredible three and d wing shooting nearly like 40 percent from three He's switchable. He can guard, point guard, shooting guard, small forwards, even power forwards a little bit. And Cam Johnson, I thought he was going to get exposed a little bit in the playoffs defensively, but he was really able to stay on the court, hit those corner threes he's really good at. And I think the real question for the Suns moving forward is just how healthy can Chris Paul be? Because I think even next series, if they're playing Denver, that should be interesting to see. I don't even know if they need a hundred percent Chris Paul to win that series, but if Chris Paul can get up to a hundred percent, I think this team can make the finals. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so the Western conference right now is it's what you, Utah, Denver, um, or no, it's Utah is going to be playing whoever wins game seven against the Clippers oh, yeah. and the Mavericks. Yeah. So then you got, yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely shaking up where I could see the Phoenix Suns make it. But it's just, I mean, the Phoenix Suns were like this really, it was this weird slow build. And then all of a sudden, like the bubble last year, they just come together and then that completely goes into this season. It's just weird to see. And I mean, I think you have guys like DeAndre Aiden. People got like kind of worried about him after that first year in Phoenix. But I mean... It takes centers a while to get used to NBA basketball. Um, and then, of course, he has, like, one good game last year and then gets suspended <laughs> 40 games for PEDs. So that takes away from it. But, I mean, he's just kind of been developing in the background, I think, really. And that's really helped this team. Yeah, and he's had kind of a quiet year. I mean, he's yeah. averaging about 15 and 10. But, obviously, Chris Paul and Devin Booker have gotten most of the credit for this team. But DeAndre Ayton's been very important defensively. I mean, I remember in game one, I think he maybe missed one shot when Anthony Davis was still healthy in this series. And DeAndre Ayton, despite being drafted over Luka Doncic, is still going to be a good pick. Yeah, (laughs) no, I mean, I mean, I thought Luka Doncic was going to be good. I couldn't have predicted this. But so... It's hard. I mean, DeAndre Aiden's another one of those guys. He's twenty-two. He's a twenty-two-year-old 
six eleven center. Like it's going to take him a second <laughs> to get up to his full potential. And I mean, he's been playing really good this year. So I think if he can stay healthy, it's going to be really good to see in the next few years for this Phoenix team. And the last thing I want to talk about in this series is, especially once Anthony Davis went out in those last two games, this defense from the Lakers completely evaporated. Phoenix was able to get in the lane left and right. They were able to get easy open threes. I know Anthony Davis is a defensive player of the year caliber player. He's incredible, but Anthony Davis didn't even play half the games for this Lakers team this season. And they had the number one defensive rating. I was really shocked by that of just how easy Phoenix was able to take control offensively. And there were multiple times where it looked like the Lakers were confused. Maybe that was just the Lakers were unhealthy a lot of the season and they didn't play as much time to get those call outs ready. But if you watch the Lakers during the regular season, defensively, that was their best part of their game yeah. plan most nights. And Phoenix just totally trashed them. I mean, obviously, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are incredible high IQ basketball players and great scorers. But I was shocked just how lopsided these games, especially game five and game six, got where after the first quarter, these games were over. <laughs> Phoenix was leading yeah. by like 20. Yeah, I mean, the defense is just interesting. I think part of it comes down to rotations because, uh, I mean, of course, a lot of these guys have not played a long time together, but the Lakers seem to really prioritize offense over defense <laughs> this last series, and that was not the right decision because the Lakers last season, when they made – like during the regular season, the reason they – dominated so much in the regular season was they played fantastic defense like they were by far the best defense in the league last year and then they tried to switch it up this playoffs and it just did not work at all for this Lakers team yeah and I, I don't know like a lot of variables went into this loss for sure but I think Lakers can make some tweaks this offseason. I think they'll have a better chance next year, but it should have been clearer to a lot of people. I just want to say Lucas Owens did come on this podcast, I think it was maybe a year ago, to say, you know, Chris Paul to the Phoenix Suns. It's going to work out. It's going to happen, and it's going to be great. And I just want to say, Lucas, I'm sorry for doubting you. I was wrong on that. Uh, I... Gosh, I was uh, I was a uh, Joe's making fun of me. I I was a let Chris Paul say in Oklahoma City. I really like what he's doing there, and I think I think he still would have had a good season in Oklahoma City. But he's been really fun in Phoenix, so I definitely am taking that on the chin. Just like I hope you're taking the LeBron's going to get six championships by next year on the chin, <laughs> where he's going to three peat. You know, it's yeah, just three peat stab <laughs> for now, but. You want to talk about the Dallas Clippers series? Oh, yeah, go ahead. That series has been a lot of fun. This has been – I've seen a lot of series. This has been maybe the weirdest series I have ever watched. Not a single team has won a game on their home floor. Yeah. And we're going into game seven. Yeah. That is just ridiculous to me. And – The Mavericks, they had a chance last night. It was pretty close, and then Kawhi just went turbo mode in that fourth quarter, and you couldn't stop him. But this series has been really fun. It's been – I mean, these games have been closer than people have realized. I know it's fun to make fun of the Clippers just because of (laughs) how much of a train wreck that franchise has been. But even those first two games in L.A., we're pretty close coming down to the final four or five minutes. It was just Luca was able to generate a lot of open threes and get in the lane and hit some shots and really took those two games. But I buried the Clippers after those first two games. I thought there was no way they could come back and win this series. Now it's game seven. I think I'm still going to ride with Dallas to win this series, but I, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so what you were saying about a team not winning a game on home court, that's literally happened one time 
before. Not in the NBA. That's happened one time in sports before. 2019 World Series between Washington and Houston. And it never happens because home court is such a big advantage. Um, our home field for baseball. But, I mean, it's just it's so much fun to see. I mean, I've hold, held a mantra for a few years now that you do not win a home, you do not win a playoff series without t- winning an away game. And obviously both these teams have won away games. That's all they've won. Um, so it'll, it'll be a good game. It'll be a really good game. I believe that's tomorrow, right? Yeah. A little confused on my dates. Work has made my life a blur lately, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, just look how impressive Luka Doncic has been. Um, has been great, especially with how unimpressive uh, Porzingis has been. And then the Clippers kind of trying to pull things around. Uh, Playoff P has not been too bad, which has been nice. He's not choking, which is great. He had a bad postseason last year, but outside of that, he was never bad in the playoffs like people think he was. I I think for people, it's – those two Oklahoma city years coupled with this because the series against Utah, it wasn't horrible. If you look at the per games, but he had a few games in that series. Especially the last two games, he was bad. I think he went like O of nine from three (laughs) in one. And then like one of seven from three in the next one. But yeah, if, if you've been watching this Clippers series at all, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are not the problem with this team. It's finding the other three guys to put on the court. Yeah. Because I, I just – I think Serge Ibaka, if he was healthy, would be a lock to play that yeah. four or five. But every other position, like I guess you could put Nick Batum out there, Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard. Like yeah. each option you have just has glaring weaknesses. Like Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson are awful defensively. And then Reggie Jackson, like last night was great offensively. Like I think he outscored uh, the rest of the Lakers or that Clippers team in the most of the first quarter. Cause I think he shot like six of eight, but they just don't have any solid options in that starting lineup who are super consistent. Kawhi Leonard has been having a quietly really good postseason, 32 yeah. points per game, seven and a half rebounds per game. shooting from the field, 43% from three, over 70% true shooting percentage. Kawhi Leonard is an incredible playoff performer. I'm excited to watch this game seven because Luka Doncic has also been ridiculous this series. Did you see in game five, I think the Mavericks only had six baskets that were not either scored or assisted by Luka. Well, that makes sense because he's all they have. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, though. So back on your point about the Clippers, um, that they've always had weird roster construct or weird rotations under uh, since uh, Kawhi and Paul George joined the team. Um, it's always been weird. They've been playing Vika Zubac like a lot of minutes lately, which is always going to be interesting. I've never. Like, I like him as a performer. I'm not sure if he's really playoff caliber starter center. Um, but, I mean, when you're – that team's being picked up right now by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George majority, and then you have a little bit of Reggie Jackson scoring, like, 15 points a game. And then, like, all of the scorers on the team except for that kind of suck right now. Like, to put it bluntly, like, when you have – like Batum as like your fifth highest score or something's probably wrong. Yeah. And what's crazy is like Nick Batum it, in those Charlotte years was awful, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. those last two seasons there. Yeah. And Nick Batum's in the closing five for this team on lots of nights. Yeah. And yeah. defensively, it feels like there's only two options they have. It's they go big with Zubox out there. But if you do that, Zubox is not a great post defender. I mean, we saw Nikola Jokic take advantage of that last season. Yeah. And obviously Dallas doesn't necessarily have the personnel for that just because Kristaps Porzingis in the post isn't much of a threat. But then if you leave Zubox out there as the big, switches are going to completely destroy him. Mm -hmm. And 
then I think the Clippers' best option is to have that super small lineup, get Marcus Morris, play him at the five, Kawhi, Paul George, Batum, and then like Reggie Jackson and just switch everything. I think that's been their best defensive lineup, but even that isn't super reliable. No, not at all. See, I think it might work well against the Jazz if they make it into the second round, just because Gobert isn't the most adept offensive player aside from dunks, like just because Marcus Morris might be able to give him a little bit of trouble. But in this series, Luka Doncic has just been eating all of the switches, all of the minutes of big guys out there. It's just been a disaster for this Clippers team. No, I mean, this Clippers team just cannot defend, like you said, in the post or down low. And the pro, I mean, it definitely would be fine against Utah, but the problem is this uh, Mavericks team, like you said, Luka Doncic can take advantage of that. Even I've seen them giving, they're giving Boban Marjanovic good minutes, and he's been doing good this series, which is great to see because usually he was one of those guys that came in for like, what, eight minutes a game? And he was kind of just something to change things up, but he's like, he's doing good against the Clippers right now, which is crazy. Like, if you're getting Bobon is huge, and he's a li- he's more athletic than you think he would be, but he's still a slow big seven four two ninety guy. Like it's just like how are you letting this guy score like what eleven points a game on you? It's no for sure. And what what this series has shown to me about the Clippers is they are a good defensive and good offensive team but if you're in a close game with them they're not super reliable to get stops and then for them to generate offense late in games it's asking a lot when you have two all-time offensive players and three other guys who all have their limitations Reggie Jackson can show flashes of going to the hoop and scoring but as a shooter, you probably don't want to rely on Reggie Jackson. And then I guess like you could put Luke Kennard out there, but then that just gives you more defensive liabilities. There's just no good offensive and defensive options for this team. It seems like they have two separate fives they can put out there, like the offense team and the defense team. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, don't even get me started on the Luke Kennard contract, uh, but uh yeah, you're right. I mean, there's just no like you gotta remember too, they have to put somebody out there after the starters. Like you can't just play five guys all game unless you want to murder Kawhi um out there, which is part of the reason why he went to the Clippers was so he could play a lot in the playoffs, but not in the regular season. But I I just don't know what to do with this team anymore. Yeah, like I, I think Obviously, they have to re-sign Kawhi this offseason, but aside from that, I don't really know what this team can do just to adjust their roster, because it feels like they need a little bit of everything, where Serge Ibaka did help them in terms of being able to play that switchable five and help him in the playoffs, but they still don't have a solid point guard, and then that other, like, three or four they can have who can shoot and play defense along with Paul George and Kawhi. Like they haven't really addressed either of those needs and they still have a few years to do so with Paul George under his contract, but they're going to have to re-sign Kawhi Leonard in this off season to make any of that work. And even if Kawhi Leonard is re-signed, they're still $148 million into the salary cap. They're 20 over the (laughs) the limit so no they have no first round picks to trade I mean I don't really know how the Clippers can make those trades where at least a team like Milwaukee has a solid starting five right now they don't have the picks they don't have (laughs) the young assets they're in a similar position as the Clippers but the Bucks can at least say hey we have a good starting five offensively and defensively. The, the, the Clippers, they just, they don't have it. And I don't think there's really many moves they can make. They 
gave Luke Kennard that four-year extension. I don't know how they can get off of that. I mean, it's only about $12 million a year, but still, I don't know what team is going to pick up the Luke Kennard contract. I mean, the Clippers don't have any draft equity. They don't have any young talent to trade unless you're counting Terrence Mann. I mean, like, I just don't really see a way for this team to get better, honestly. No, I mean – They'll have to find some way to trade, but you have, like, you have Kawhi Leonard. um, That's a player option, right, next year. Yeah. But you have Paul George, that guarantee cash. That's fine, obviously, because it's Paul George. But you have, like, $50 tied up in Marcus Morris, 14 tied up with Pat Beverly, 41 tied up with Luke Kennard, which is a problem. (laughs) I don't know why they made that deal. Um, and obviously like Steve Ballmer owns the team. They don't care about going into luxury tax, but like you still have to manage the cap. And like you said, I mean, there's just nothing they can do. They have to add guys through like what mid-level exceptions in a minimum. I don't even know if they have their mid-level exception anymore oh, just God. because of how much they're over the cap. And it- <laughs> It's like, like, I think all they can do at this point is trade second round picks for players that teams don't want, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, like, well, I think that's... the problem is you don't get the cheap contracts from the guys on second round picks. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, they might look to just buying some second round picks just to maybe try to get some cheap contract yeah. guys out there who can play solid minutes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to, not at this point because they their cap situation is bad like it's probably like i there's a lot few cap situations that are really bad this year one of them probably being the you know going state warriors but um (laughs) (laughs) um it's uh it's gonna be rough for the clippers trying to navigate i mean that's probably that's i mean they're gonna go all in this year this was kind of the idea was go all in on these two years and so if they come up short again, like not even make the Western Conference Finals again, it's going to be really disappointing. Right. And they don't have a first round pick until 2027. So. (laughs) Well, I don't they, I think they do have a first round pick, but it's a swap. They have, yeah, they have Oklahoma City's pick, I think three of the next four years. But if Oklahoma City is able to get out of this rebuild, within the next two or three, those picks might not be super valuable. No. No. I mean, it, yeah, the swaps are going to hurt them. But, yeah, I'm sure Oklahoma – that that Oklahoma City trade is going to – people are going to look back at that when I when this Clippers window tightens. Because, obviously, it's not done yet. The Clippers could still theoretically win the title this year. And that would be worth it to them to have to deal with what, like 10 years of mediocrity or not mediocrity bad that's going to come after, uh, you know, Kawhi and Paul George leave. Or Paul George isn't going to leave for a while unless he demands a trade out. But it's just, it's a rough situation for them. No, for sure. And I mean, this, I guess, has been the best era in Clippers yeah. basketball this past, well, like, 15 They were years. owned by Sterling for so long, and Sterling did not want to invest in the team. And then you get uh, Steve Ballmer, who is by far the richest owner in the NBA. Um, and he just wants to win. But they kind of went all in right now. And it's just not very forward-thinking. But I understand why they did it. If you had a chance, if, if you're the Clippers, you – suffered through that much mediocrity it's absolutely worth it to go in like this honestly i think the 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 biggest mistakes the clippers made were made were signing some of these other guys who weren't very good Uh, (laughs) or or even like patrick beverly honestly like patrick beverly has just been unplayable he's he's definitely declined these last years yeah so i just We'll see, but even if we're looking at just these last four teams in the Western Conference, if the, assuming the Clippers win game seven, mm-hmm. if it's Utah, it's the Clippers, it's Dallas, or not Dallas, if it's Denver, and then uh, 
Phoenix, I would still put Utah and Phoenix above the Clippers in terms oh, of teams to win. And then I'd say the Clippers are better than Denver just because Denver has so many injuries and yeah. they're barely playing NBA guards right now. But I, the, the, the Clippers are just in that tough spot where they've mortgaged their future. And I'm not sure what they've mortgaged it for at this point. Like, I think last year was their best shot ultimately. Yeah, it absolutely was. But And then they blow the 3-1 lead to Denver. That that's the theme of the Clippers franchise. Like the the years they have the best window to win the title, they blow the three one lead. It happened in 2015 when the Warriors won, where they blow that three one lead against Houston, mm-hmm. and the Clippers had a shot against that Warriors team before they oh, got KD, yeah. before they won the title. That would probably been the best year. That was the year before they won 73 games. Um, too. That Warriors team was not fully developed yet, so. They definitely could have. That Clippers team also always played the Warriors really tight. Those few years, they were considered probably like the bit Warriors' biggest rival. Um, there, and that was the Warriors when they were still playing David Lee at center, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they, of course, get to the finals four straight years against the Cavs. And now everybody hates Cleveland. But before so, that, people really hated the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> the Clippers are always an idiot are always like the most hated team or the most made fun of team in the NBA. Well, it's funny though, because they're so like, I get why Warriors, like Warriors players and Warriors fans didn't like them because they always matched up against them. They were like, they were good while the Warriors were trying to get good. I don't understand why a lot of people don't like the Clippers. (laughs) Like they're playing second fiddle in their own city. Um, It's just... Yeah, I don't get why people don't. It's like it's like hating the Mets. Like the Mets before they got in the rich ownership. It's like come on. <laughs> so, one last thing I want to talk about. So, obviously the Portland Trailblazers, they just parted ways with Terry Stotts after losing in 6 games to the Nuggets. Another year, four out of the last 5 years, uh the Portland Trailblazers have been eliminated in the first round. What do you think of this? Um, I mean, it's hard to say because, of course, they've got eliminated in the first round. People forget that one year out of five, they went to the Western Conference Finals and then got swept by the Warriors without KD. But that was definitely their best shot. And, I mean, I think it's just a natural – like, it's a natural flow of things where it's kind of – that was the plateau with that Western Conference Finals. And I mean, for some teams, that's all you can do, but it's kind of that window. is kind of starting to close. Um, I mean, they had a really good series against Denver though. They weren't like getting outmatched. Um, so I think you try to retool it, get a new coach in there and hope things work, but I'm not sure if they will anymore. This seemed to be the classic case of, the general manager fires the coach so the general manager doesn't take blame for the roster construction because Terry Stotts has made good offenses out of this team but defensively I don't think he's ever had the personnel to have a good defense the one time they made the conference finals was their best year defensively it's just because they had like a cool switching system but when you have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum you're never going to have a good defensive team because you have two guards who you can't switch, cannot guard guards even. Mm -hmm. So I I just, I've never thought that this Portland team with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum could ever find any tooling where they could make a finals team. But I mean, their best bench options this year were Anthony Simons and 18 year old, NBA veteran (laughs) Carmelo Anthony yeah I mean it's tough to say because I mean it's a hard thing where like half the playoffs have to leave I think they were they might have been like the well they were the sixth seed um but they were a good team (laughs) this year it just didn't come together um but yeah I think if they're gonna make a move I think it'll they might try to move on from CJ McCollum, 
all uh, what happened with uh, the Raptors a few years ago, but um, I mean, there's just not a lot you can do. I mean, because obviously, like, you need to, if they can keep Yusuf Nurkic, they need to keep Yusuf Nurkic, but I don't know what else is going to happen. With yeah, because I think this team has, like, like you said earlier, hit the plateau. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the ceiling of this team, making it to the Western Conference Finals and getting swept, unless some massive changes happen. But yeah, even with the good pieces they have that they could trade, I don't know what you could realistically get back for a CJ McCollum or a Yusuf Nurkic mm-hmm. just to retool this team around Damian Lillard. I think at a certain point within the next year or two, they should seriously consider looking at moving on from this era and to try to rebuild just because at a certain point, I'd imagine Damian Lillard with these teams continually staying where they are is going to get frustrated at a certain point because we've seen this with lots of stars where they're loyal to a city, but after continued playoff disappointment, after about three or four years, there's a point where they're kind of frustrated and want to leave and want to get out. I think if Portland is able to move on from Damian Lillard and go into a rebuilding era, they might want to look into it while the value of Damian Lillard is still super high. I mean, we've seen so many teams give up like five first round picks for a player of that caliber. If that offer is out on the table, I think the Blazers should try to take that just just to get the value for Dame while they can, because th- this team, I think they've hit their ceiling. I- is there any way they could make the finals with this team or make another Western Conference finals? I don't really think so, unless yeah. I'm just missing something. Um, I mean, so it's hard because I think Denver is also a really good team. Denver, I could definitely see making the Western Conference finals, but um it's hard because you kind of have to like the NBA is a business. So of course, from a competitive standpoint, you might say, Oh, blow it up. We'll try again. We'll get some picks for these guys. We'll do a short-term rebuild, but then you have to go through a few years of the people of Portland being really mad with you and nobody coming to games. Nobody's watching the games. Jersey sales are down and that's tough for a lot of owners to think about. That's why you have a lot of teams will stick with guys too long was it will be because of that money standpoint. Um, and this has been one of the best areas of Blazers basketball. They are a fun team to watch. And the city of Portland loves this team. Um, but I, I really think you have to fi- try to find somebody to get somebody for CJ McCollum, I think would be the best option. Even if it's just to get some defense in there. Because Sam Lillard can do a lot of scoring. CJ McCollum, didn't really have the best series <laughs> offensively. Um, but I think you have to try to get somebody for him. You have to re-sign Nurkic because I don't think – Nurkic is an underrated center. I mean, he's still loved, but people don't really talk about him in that upper echelon. I think he's right below it, but he's a really impressive center. He's but, in the Jonas Valanciunas tier. Yeah, absolutely. I would add – that's probably about where he is, yeah. Um, kind of that center who's – prototypical but it really adds a lot to your team especially with how bad this Portland team can be at defense um but really that I think that combined with the coaching change should give them what they want for kind of one last hurrah basically the two the two decisions for this roster that I'm curious to see how how they play out are obviously they traded Gary Trent Jr. at the trade deadline for Norman Powell Norman Powell has the player option. He's almost certainly going to decline for some type of max deal. I'm curious how much the Blazers give him because, I mean, we saw earlier with Portland what they gave out to Alan Crabb and what they gave out to Evan Turner. They gave these guys monster contracts to stay in Portland. If they do that with Norman Powell, I think that might even make a C.J. McCollum trade more likely because – Norman Powell could play the two starting with Damian Lillard and then they could maybe try to get something for CJ McCollum. And then Zach Collins is another interesting piece because he's shown flashes of being able to be a good like backup big, but how much money do they give him in the off season? Do they try to bring back Cantor, Carmelo? 
I mean, they have Dame locked up for the next four or five years. And I can see why this team would be scared of a rebuild. I mean, we saw what happened like in Orlando since Dwight Howard, like they made yeah. the eight seed twice and now they're on the rebuilding path again. I mean, it's yeah. easy to start the rebuild and then stay rebuilding for another five, six years. Let's talk to the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'll, it's, it'll depend on how the cap situation goes, but yeah, I can, Norman Powell has been taking steps the last few years. I could see him in a starting role. Um, and I mean, it'll depend what people, will, what people will give for CJ McCollum. Um, so I mean, it just depends what happens. Um, but I think just a small a retool combined with the new coach that will hopefully figure out the defense just a little bit for this Trailblazers team. Be better than the 29th defensive rating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this team cannot play defense. No, we'll, we'll, we will see what happens with Portland, but we have one game on tonight. I want your thoughts on this series. So Milwaukee – in Brooklyn, also known as the Eastern Conference Finals before the Eastern Conference Finals. (laughs) I've read a bunch of articles on this series. I've gone back and forth on which team I think will win this. I think if Brooklyn doesn't have Jeff Green, I think Milwaukee will be able to win this series in seven games, just because I don't think there's an answer for Giannis. And then I think Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton will be good enough defensively to maybe keep Kyrie Irving and James Harden around that 20 points per game <laughs> margin instead of the 27 points per game margin. But I think Milwaukee will win this series, but this has definitely been the hardest series so far to predict. No, I have no idea how it's going to go. I, w- I mean, I would favor Brooklyn just a little bit personally. Um, but again, like you said, just that, uh, a little bit of health will be important, but this Milwaukee team looked really good in that first series. Um, but I mean, kind of beating the playoff demons of last year doesn't mean you're gonna win again this year. You have to make it past the Eastern Conference semifinals. Um, but I mean, I would say I would give Philadelphia a little bit of a chance against anybody, but uh, I'm not sure. I think if Brooklyn wins this series, I they're in the finals at least. And no, I was, I was big on the Philly train. Actually. I thought yeah. Philly was going to make the finals, but with the Joel Embiid injury where it's yeah. at, I'm a little more skeptical of that team. Like I think I'd put Milwaukee and Brooklyn above them in terms of yeah, being able to make the finals just because if Joel Embiid isn't out there, this Philly team might even struggle against the Hawks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you need Embiid back if you're the uh, 76ers. They even think about competing. It's not a situation where they have enough death there to beat any of these teams. They can't. I think tonight is going to be an interesting game one because I have no idea how Brooklyn is going to try to guard Giannis. Mm-hmm. Like, are they going to put Blake Griffin on him? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. without Jeff Green, I mean – seems like their only options are like Nick Claxton, Blake Griffin, even Kevin Durant, maybe, but. Maybe they should have straight away Jared Allen. <laughs> oh, that was. Um, but um, their personnel there has never been the best. They'll figure it out, though. Um, the scoring's just good enough that I think they'll be fine. At least. So- are you on the train that you think Brooklyn can score 125 points per game the rest of this playoffs? Uh, if they say healthy. Because <laughs> on one hand, it's like we've never seen that before. But on the other hand, it's like they have three all-time offensive players yeah. and Joe Harris in the corner. Yeah, it's like Joe Harris would be – Joe Harris is playing good this year. And – you have Joe Harris there, and then you just have so like this team has an insane amount of role pieces. That's what people like to look over. Like they competed in the bubble last year without KD or Kyrie Irving, or of course James Harden. <laughs> he wasn't on the team then. Um, so this team just goes deep. 
and yeah, I think they're just too deep. I think bench minutes might be a big factor this series because honestly, Milwaukee kind of gives me some worries there, especially without Dante Divincenzo. I think yeah. if they had Dante Divincenzo, I'd be a little bit more confident in Milwaukee, but. I think they're going to miss those minutes a little bit because mm-hmm. Milwaukee's bench this year isn't as good as it was last year, despite I think this team being a little bit more solid, having a guy like Drew Holiday. But I, I guess we'll see. But I, tonight's game is going to be fun for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. going to be a lot of fun. I'll be in uh, San Francisco, but it'll be <laughs> a lot of fun. I'll have to try to keep track of it. There's not a lot of Brooklyn or Milwaukee fans in San Francisco. Uh, no, no, especially <laughs> not at a Giants-Cubs game. <laughs> well, Lucas, this has been fun. It's always yeah. a pleasure having you on, man. Uh, any yeah. closing thoughts on the NBA that you just have to get off your chest while you're on no filler? Uh, Andrew Wiggins is not as bad as everybody thinks he is. <laughs> okay okay you're you're on the warriors train if he's going to be a solid third option when clay gets the best they got right now (laughs) (laughs) i mean he played some good minutes this year but the warriors sucked outside of one day at seth no my favorite was always the games where wiggins would get like two blocks that was always fun like those were always fun randomly Andrew Wiggins just has these defensive flashes where he just blocks someone in the like, post and oh my god oh my god he's trying on defense now <laughs> it's like oh yeah that is number one pick Andrew Wiggins with those defensive flashes I mean have to see how that uh Minnesota pick turns out hopefully it ends up outside the top three but uh right at four <laughs> I was gonna say so you guys get two lottery picks this year yeah yeah God, don't remind me that's a lottery pick now. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe maybe that uh, they have, what, like a 0.5% chance of ending up with the first pick? Wouldn't that be fun? I think it's almost like perfectly 50-50 chance. So, because oh. I think Minnesota has the third best odds. Or Yeah. yeah. No, if, I'm if, talking if... about the Warriors pick. <laughs> Lucas, I'll have to have you on again for the draft lottery results. Oh, absolutely. It's going to go terribly, but I'm going to be open open until it happens. (laughs) For sure. Well, this has been fun. Like, thanks, Lucas, for coming on. Oh, no problem. It's been great. (laughs) Folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Filler with Joe Miller. If you like this content, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want any more of my basketball takes as well as some of my other content, you can follow me on Twitter at J0E underscore Miller. Thanks for listening.